I think the other day, Brother Greg said something about we've had, what, five lessons or something. I just thought I'd let you know how I'm long-winded, and apparently I'm long-series. Anyway, uh, eternal life. Nobody is surprised by the topic. We'll start with our uh, text verse. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We stopped right in the middle of things last week. We were considering Galatians 5, 1 through 4. I'll go ahead and read that passage. Uh, Galatians 5, 1 through 4. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now, I'll pause there, and the yoke of bondage is the law. I think we all probably understand that. Uh, it doesn't bring liberty. It obligates you to do this and to do that and to do something else. And if you don't do all of those things, you face uh, possibly death, some type of terrible punishment. And those that would deny that eternal life is truly irrevocable as a gift, eternal in its uh, length, uh, they're putting you under a bondage of works. So whether it's works of the law or somebody else's abbreviated system of works, Paul is saying don't get tangled up in that again. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, and I I dealt with that last week, I'm not going to repeat that, uh, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised, that is, to the person that decides I need to do this law keeping in order to be saved, that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. And again, people like to pick and choose, but the whole law means no bacon, no ham sandwiches, you know, no BLTs. You've got to keep your guys, there are certain parts of your hair you're not supposed to cut. I mentioned last week, no tattoos. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, preachers who were desperate to keep. Now, when I was a kid, thugs and sailors and punks were the only people with tattoos. And so... They would use the law to tell people you can't get tattoos. Well, you know, there's just all kinds of things that that you have to do that people don't realize if you're going to try to keep the law. And if you do try to keep the law, you have to keep it all or you've failed. He goes on and says, you become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by law. And then that statement that the naysayers to the reality of what we understand as grace, they say you have fallen from grace. And they're saying that if you, and it's weird because some of them want you to keep the law, but then they say if you go too far in certain directions, you can fall from grace and be lost. Try to reconcile that if you can. I'm not going to go over the comments I made on the earlier portion of the passage. We're just going to come to Paul's statement that Christians who try to be justified by the law or by works, again, include any system of works here, have fallen from grace. Now, what does it mean to fall from grace? Several years ago, I was coming off the platform, and I was wearing a pair of shoes that I I bought in Paraguay. And they had a strange heel on them, a little lift of a heel, and it caught and I fell. Now, I didn't fall all the way to the floor. I grabbed that railing over there and I, I hit it so hard I jerked it out from the wall. 
And, uh, but I, I didn't die. <laughs> and if I'd hit the ground, I don't believe I would have died. I wouldn't have fallen out of this building. I would have still been a part of the congregation. And what that fall is, basically, is that there is a sudden dropping to a lower place, sudden and potentially damaging drop from a higher place to a lower place. So suddenly I was lower than I started out, and I'd created some damage. Uh, That word translated to fall, it means literally to drop away, but in its usage it can be especially to be driven out of one's course. So maybe I start out for Denver, Colorado. And a storm comes through, and it's going to be a mess, and so I see that there's a route I can go south and circle around that I've been driven out of my course. If you begin to do law-keeping, if you begin to rely on your own works, you have been driven out of your course. Uh, It can mean also to become inefficient, (laughs) so that grace becomes an inefficient. It's still there, but it's not working to full capacity. You, you, you're denying it that to the, the uh, ability to give you the liberty and the peace that you should have in the Lord Jesus Christ. So these folks hadn't fallen out of grace. Rather, they had fallen from trusting in God's grace to trusting in their own works. And uh, from trusting in what Christ provided to what they thought they could do by their own efforts. Now... Would you rather trust in your works or on the grace of God to preserve you? They're saying you have to preserve yourself. What do you want to trust? God's grace and what Jesus did or what you might do. Which of those are going to create bondage? The obligation to do everything just right or you're going to hell. Or the fact that God's grace is all sufficient. It's sufficient for you. That when Jesus said, it's finished, he did not mean I've made the down payment and you have to continue to make payments for the rest of your life by being exceptionally good or it's not yours. Which, which does the Bible say and which would you prefer? Well, I prefer just to trust in the grace of God. And so uh, I'm grateful for the outcome that we have by simple grace Second Peter chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, uh, as also in all his, he's talking about, Peter's talking about Paul's writing. Now, they had some disagreements early on, but Peter was a godly man. The Lord straightened him out. And he said, as also in all his epistles, all his letters, speaking in them of these things in which are some things that are hard to understand. If... People think the Bible has to be easy to understand. They need to get over it. Because the Bible is not always easy to understand. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. Uh, It's the honor of kings to search out a matter. There, There has to be some searching. There has to be some seeking. But there are some people that uh, take things that are difficult to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, to their own harm as they do also the rest of the scriptures. It's not, just, it's not just the difficult things at some point. And I've seen this in this study. I mean, I've always known it, but you know, it has made me sad to read how careless some people are in applying the scripture. 
twisting it and applying it to meet their own preconceived idea when it just doesn't fit and doesn't even say what they say it says. People twist the scripture. Uh, You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, you know there are going to be people, whether they're ignorant or whether they're intentional in their actions, they're going to twist the scripture. Since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness. Doubts can arise. Issues can be presented to you in a way, when I first began to yield to the Lord, I really questioned what I had been taught because I wasn't well grounded in the scripture. Questions can arise. Beware lest you fall from your own steadfastness. And the way to do that is to get to know the Bible. That's why I'm teaching this series in such detail, so that it's there. The word of God is there in your heart. Uh, Being led away with the error of the wicked. So fall from steadfastness. Compare that with that warning against falling. Well, Galatians 5.1, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. Don't fall. Don't be led away by error. Don't uh, come to a place where grace ceases to be fully efficient in its working in your life where you're driven out of your path, where you've dropped to a lower place from trusting in him to trusting in yourself. So the point is that having been given a standing in justification, in the liberty that Christ bought for us, a place of fellowship with the Most High just through grace, that's how you came to have a contact and a fellowship with God, the grace of God. Having come to him on that basis and having fellowship on that basis, how foolish the Galatians were to fall into a lower place of self-effort. I'm going to work real hard to keep myself in this place that I never could have attained to in the first place, but for God's grace. There was a verse that I had for many years tacked up on the wall next to my desk when we were at the building in Rinker Road. Had an office in the building and I don't even know where I found it. It was in one of the, they used to have promise boxes. How many of you remember those things? It's like, you know, your daily vitamin pill, you pull a verse out at random, and that's your, that's your scripture for the day, right? But this one stuck with me, and so I just put a thumbtack in it, and it was there for years and years. It's Micah chapter 7 and verse 8. Do not rejoice over me, my enemy. When I fall, I will arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. These people fell away from grace, but one of these days, whether they turn in this life or whether just when that time comes that they're taken into the presence of the Lord, the child of God who falls. Now, the enemy will rejoice if he can. He wants to stumble you. He wants to bring you down. He wants to create problems for you. He wants to deceive you. Oh, you can do this, and you should. Has God said eternal life? Oh, that's not really what it is. I mean, it sounds, remember, has God said don't eat of the fruit, you'll die? Has God said eternal life, you will live? Oh, that's not true. Well, don't rejoice over me, mine enemy. If I fall, I will arise. And when I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. A stumble or even a downright fall in this life is never pointed to in Scripture as being fatal, as being final. Uh, It's certainly never hinted at 
that if you stumble or fall, that eternal life is taken from you, stripped away. People read their opinion into passages of Scripture, but if you look at the Scriptures they use, they can't read them out of those passages. They're trying to force them in, force that. They're twisting the Scripture. And when I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. This is not really the verse that I'm commenting on, but passage I'm commenting on, but years ago, a very well-educated, you know, been to a theological cemetery, I mean seminary, you got the joke, I hope. Anyway, been to a, a seminary, and he had all the education. You, you know, you go to a seminary, and what you do is you read all these different opinions, and they just let you make up your mind, but they steer you in a liberal direction or, a, or an ultra-wrong direction. And he challenged my father. And he said, what about those people who turn their backs on the light of Christ? And my father said, well, then the light of Christ will shine on their backs. (laughs) When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I'm a child of God. I belong to him. Nothing can change that. And so, don't fall. There's no need to fall. He's able to keep you from falling. But there's nothing in the Bible that indicates that's a loss of eternal life. Now, I'm going to more or less race through some, a few passages. Again, I'm not touching on all the passages in this area of the error. Uh, and I'm going to hurry through these. But these are, again, passages pointed to as proof that saved people can lose eternal life. But the passages in this group refer to people who were never saved in the first place. And if you don't have it, you can't lose it. So, Matthew chapter 7 Verses uh, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says, these are the words of Christ, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, calling him master, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Now what is his will? That you believe on the Son. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, very simply, he will not say to them, I used to know you, but now I just don't even know who you are anymore. You used to be one of my children, but now you're not anymore. That is not what the Bible says. What he says there is, Depart from me. I never knew you. Is he talking to people who used to be saved but lost their salvation? No way. And you know, this is one of those passages. I don't see how the Lord could have made that more plain in the wording that he chose. But again, people see what they want to see. Uh, When little Sage came in this morning, I don't know what was going on, but he came in like this. And it, it made me chuckle. You know, there are people that will come to church like this. I don't want to hear that. We will not discuss that. Well, you know, if we're talking about the Bible, it's good to listen to the Bible. Uh, People see what they want to see. They hear what they want to hear. And, And I hope I'm not being overly harsh, but glossing over and misinterpreting those words, I never knew you to twist them around into, I used to know you, but not now. 
Um, I, I don't know. It's more like saying, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to believe that. I'm only willing to consider what I believe. And it, it seems pretty intentional to me to ignore something that plainly stated. And again, that makes me sad. We're not superior to anybody. We may have more than others have spiritually, just as we may have more than others have naturally speaking. We have, may have more personal talents or abilities than some people have. You know, that doesn't make us better than anyone. Maybe better off, yes. But it makes me sad when I see people willing to take that kind of a path. Well, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 38 through 39. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Now what the writer is saying to Christians, we are not of those. The contrast is those who believe to the saving of the soul as opposed to those who draw back. Now what does draw back mean? How many of you have ever touched something hot you didn't expect it to be hot maybe you have one of those cooktops like we have this glass and you know it's not glowing or anything you did not realize that somebody just took a pan off and turned it off and you put your hand down you don't even think about it it's called an autonomic response just <clears throat> you just jerk back you ever watched an amoeba under a microscope when it comes up to an irritant it sort of touches and draws back well the, the picture is of people who choose to trust in Christ and those who choose to reject and draw back. Draw back to perdition, to utter destruction. They, perhaps they had a tentative interest. Perhaps they just came into contact long enough to hear a little bit about it. But they, they may take a half step in the right direction on a superficial or outward level, but they draw back to perdition. So again, the picture is not of someone who has accepted Christ. There's two classes of people, those who draw back, those who believe to the salvation of the soul. Second Peter chapter 2, verses 21 and 22. Boy, if I keep this pace up, we may quit early. Don't count on it. Second Peter 2, 21 and 22. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness... When Jesus taught the people, were there scribes and Pharisees and priests who rejected him, who heard what he had to say with the hearing of the ear, and so in a sense knew what he was getting at, twisted it, distorted it, and rejected it? Yes, there were. It had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them, according to the true proverb, the dog returns to his own vomit. Anybody here got a dog? Anybody ever seen this? You know, it's it's kind of helpful, actually, you know, at times. You don't have to clean up the mess, but we won't go into that. A dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. Uh, our pastor brought a good lesson on, on certain qualities in dogs. Now, we're not dogs, and he, may, he knows that. You know, the imagery in the Bible is never intended to be taken in its entirety. Jesus is the Lion of Judah. 
How many of you would like to make a close acquaintance with a lion in the wild? They are terrible predators. They'll destroy you given half a chance. That's not the image we're supposed to take from that. So, yeah, there's some good things about dogs. But the description here is of people with an exposure to the truth and to the righteousness uh, that's presented. And maybe they clean up their act a little bit like a sow that's been washed. I was up visiting uh, Doug and Mary Delhay quite a few years ago, and he had some pigs. And, I, you know, I have this image of pigs, you know, you cartoon pigs and book pigs. And I started to reach over the 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 fence to scratch the back of a pig that was leaning up against the fence and Doug yelled at me, don't do that. Okay. He said, David, there is a stink on that pig. You can't wash off. (laughs) So yeah, you might wash a pig. And if you wash it 17 times with, you know, I don't know, ivory soap or something and perfume things, uh, we take our dogs to the groomer. And by the time Silas has been home two days, he smells like a dog again. Well, Anyway, Peter didn't say the sheep have turned again to become dogs and sows. No, that doesn't happen. When you're born again, there's a new life in you, and we're his people. We're the sheep of his pasture. But the dogs and the sows that come in and they get, you know, they like it a little bit, but no, oh, I don't want that anymore. I'm going to go back to my old things. He said that these unclean ones who were never born again, who still had that old nature, laid aside their evil deeds, perhaps for a time, or at least the appearance of it, but eventually they just returned to their defiled and defiling ways. It's not a picture of saved people who somehow did the impossible thing and lost their salvation. The last passage I'm going to look at in this group is Jude chapter 1, because it only has one chapter. So I guess it doesn't have any chapters. But anyway, verses 3 and 4. I'm, the person who cited this in the online article that I read, he cited it from the so-called Living Bible. Now, I'm going to say something about the Living Bible. And if you read it, or if you used to read it, or you know somebody that reads it, I don't want to hurt your feelings. But I'm going to tell you what it is. It is not just a bad translation. It is not a translation at all. What it is, is a paraphrase. The way it started out is a guy was trying to read the Bible to his kids. And, you know, the Bible is hard for kids to understand. And so you have to really dumb it down and pull parts of it out. You know, you're not going to discuss everything in the Bible with a small child because it's not appropriate. And so he began to think, you know, maybe I need a translation that would be easily understood for children. So it's not a translation, it's a paraphrase, it's a kid's book. Now if you want to remain too young spiritually, well, I'll just leave that right there. Uh, it's an intention, now this is, a, this is a very harsh, blunt criticism of this paraphrase. It's an intentional changing of the wording inspired by the Holy Spirit, a dumbing down that very often totally excludes some issues and conceals uh, the true meaning of certain other issues and removes the opportunity to understand difficult truths. Again, the Bible is not an easy book at all times. Some things are. John 3.16 is really easy. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Boy, that's one we use because it's easy to understand. There are a lot of things that are difficult. But if you dumb it all down, there's no opportunity to learn the more difficult things that will mature you and give you strength spiritually. And so I will say, if you do use that book, I strongly suggest, and I, I, I'm not from a position of superiority, but don't read a children's book. Read a Bible. It'll be better for you. I believe the person who quoted from the so-called Living Bible chose that publication because there are some, there's some wording in there that fit the image they wanted to project about this truth of eternal life is eternal that they don't believe. Well, here's some things that the Bible doesn't say, but, you know. Dearly beloved friends, or dearly loved friends, I had been planning to write to you some thoughts about the salvation God has given us. But now I find I must write of something else instead, urging you stoutly, or to stoutly defend the truth that God gave once for all to his people to keep without change through the years. I say this, this person who changed the wording, keep things without change through the years. I say this because some godless teachers, what kind of teachers? Godless. Don't have a relationship with God have wormed their way in among you, saying that after we become Christians, whoops, I didn't go forward, saying that after we become, oh, where am I? There we go. Saying that after we become Christians, we can do just as we like without fear of God's punishment. Now, that doesn't even come close to what the Bible says. It, not, never mind the, the Greek, not even in a good English translation does it say that we can do whatever we want to without fear of God's punishment. Um, the fate of such people was written long ago, for they have turned against our only master, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have recently looked at just how severe God's chastening can be. If we are determined to take our lives in, in a direction that will be not only damaging to ourselves, but seriously damaging to others, the Lord may terminate our time here as a chastening. We'll still be his children, but he's not always going to let us go forward in terrible things. Um, but the idea, after we become Christians, we can do just as we like. I, uh, I remember at the last youth camp that we had, Joel gave a lesson, and I don't remember what the context was, but somehow an illustration he used stuck with me. He spoke of the fact that in, in logic and in argument, there's something that's called a straw man. You have an argument that I can't really challenge, so I'm going to recast the whole picture, and I'm going to say that your position is something that your position isn't, that your argument is something other than what your argument really is, and then I'm going to attack the straw man that I built because I can't attack you successfully. Okay? I can't defeat your argument successfully. So this is what you're actually saying. No, it's not. Oh, yes, it is. No, it's not. Oh, yes, it is. I'm going to attack it. So they say, they say, after we become Christians, we can do just as we like without the fear of punishment. That's a really easy straw man to kill, isn't it? You can set that on fire in a minute, and it's going to go right on up in smoke. 
That's not what the grace of God teaches. It teaches us that uh, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously. Uh, that's not wh- what we are teaching in this series on eternal life. Uh, it's just, it's something easy to kill. Let's accuse these people of something that they're not saying. A genuine translation of Jude Verses 3 and 4, Beloved, I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Um, I'm going to say this about predestination. Predestination is based on foreknowledge. God chose you and I who have trusted in Christ. Ephesians says he chose us in Christ. He didn't choose us outside of Christ. Before the foundation of the world, God chose up sides, as it were. Uh, Jesus indicated that all those that the Father gives me will come to me. The Father gives to the Son all those who will believe in him. You know, All that are willing to come. And those that aren't willing to come, well, long ago, it was settled as to what their ultimate condition would be. Certain men have crept in unnoticed, uh, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men, who turned the grace of our God into lewdness. Now, it may, in a certain sense, bear a similarity of thought, but the the issue is that there are those that are encouraging gods to sin. Uh, I doubt if anybody here, well, very few would would recognize the phrase supreme grace. And there was a man who used that to excuse and justify his sins and the sins of anybody else that wanted to follow him down that path. He did turn the grace of God to lewdness. Which of you have heard that distortion taught from the scripture? Which of you has heard that distortion taught as we've gone through to see what the Bible says about eternal life, that the gift is a gift, that it is eternal? And, and which of you has any desire to turn the grace of our God to lewdness, or as Paul phrased it in Galatians 5.13, to use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh? That's not what God has for us in grace. The real issue here is the spiritual character of those teachers that were teaching that falsity. It says they were ungodly. That is, they had no connection with God. It says that they, uh, uh, they crept in unnoticed. They sneaked in. They didn't come through the door. They sneaked in. You know, how many of you open your doors and say, my school? Come on in. <laughs> they sneak in. Uh, in the paraphrase it quoted, there's an effort to dis- discredit it. I mean, it, they've wormed their way in. They're ungodly. They crept in unnoticed. They don't belong. If you pause and notice them, they don't belong. It ignores the Greek, which says that they have turned against our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. They deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, suppose, now ungodly men who crept in unnoticed. Suppose an unhuman creature crept in unnoticed. And suppose it was black with a white stripe down its back. 
it could create a real problem. <laughs> we would all go home. Am I right? I mean, really, we ain't staying, right? Well, we're not looking at somebody that was godly. We're saying this is an ungodly person who's coming in, an opportunist. I've, I've had to deal with situations. A man came into our church years ago when we were over on Rinker Road, and when he walked in, I looked at him, and the Spirit spoke to me, he's from the way. How many of you have ever heard of that cult? One person. I think it was based down in Wichita, or, or no, Emporia? Emporia, I think. And uh, they don't teach salvation. I don't know if they even still exist anymore. But uh, he got his claws into somebody in the church. I was able to deal with the issue, but, you know, and I, I began to pray the minute the Lord spoke to me. This guy's from the way. He was ungodly. He was creeping in. He wanted to blend in. He wanted to be unnoticed. He wanted to bring lies. And that's the picture. It's not a picture of, of what we see as the grace of God. Uh, and to say otherwise is, well, maybe they were really saved. They're ungodly. To say differently is just speculation or imagination. And so in conclusion, I'll just say unsaved people can't lose eternal life. And when people take scriptures dealing with unsaved people and say, there's my proof, they're creating a straw man on so many different levels. And child of God, don't be removed. Don't fall from your steadfastness in the truth that God has given to us.